Hey, Corey here, and this is Everything is Marketing. Other marketing podcasts might give you the highlight reel or focus on a particular industry, strategy, or tactic, but this podcast explores marketing from every angle and allows you to get inside the head of the guest to really understand who they are and how they think. SevyCal is a new scheduling tool that's a must-have for every podcaster. I actually use it to book guests on this podcast, and it's made the entire process a breeze. I can set a limit for how many interviews I do every week, I can open up special availability for guests, and even create personalized links for guests to add a special touch. Create a free account at SavvyCal.com EIM, and also get your first month of a paid account free by using the code EIM. On the show today is two guests. We have Daniel Mitchell and Andrew Gazdecki. Daniel runs Soldstock, a Shopify app that he bought on MicroAcquire with the funding and help of Andrew, who is the founder of MicroAcquire. I wanted to bring him on because honestly, it's just a once in a lifetime story. Andrew Gazdecki, Sean Puri, and a group of investors gave Daniel $100,000 to buy a startup. It essentially all started with a half-joking tweet, and after interviewing a slew of potential operators, Andrew and Sean chose Daniel. So in this episode, you'll hear about how they came to the decision to buy sold stock among all the other SaaS apps for sale, how they plan on growing it, and what they're doing week by week to make progress in the app basically gives you a behind the scenes look. So the way I like to start the podcast is by asking, and it's, I think it's great timing because he just graduated from college from George Mason University. Congrats, by the way. But Thank you. the question is, did you ever think that you'd be growing a Shopify app for a living, given that you just graduated college and this is now what you're working on full-time, right? It's it's not my full-time job, but it's something I'm taking pretty seriously as like a legit side project. But to be honest, no. I had always... <laughs> You know, my, my journey to where I am today is gone through doing some like sweaty startup type entrepreneurship experiences. So I grew a landscaping company with my two brothers from our door to door side hustle type thing into that became my full time job at the time and it helped pay for my college. We at one time we were servicing 65 lawns a week and I also had a startup with some friends in high school and then went into college and trying to basically a web app so you could order a car wash to your house in a peer-to-peer marketplace of like detailers and get a car wash to your house. Hmm. Never really done anything in software. I studied mechanical engineering in school, did a bunch of cool internships with that, worked worked at two electric vehicle companies, Tesla and Rivian, also built 3D printers at Formlabs. All that to say, I have never considered myself a traditional marketer. I've never considered myself a software entrepreneur. And here I find myself today um, focusing on both of those things. So right. sh- short answer to your question is no way. I wouldn't see myself in this roundabout journey to where I am today. Yeah. And now the job basically is, hey, let's grow and market this software application, right? Which is which is funny coincidence. But we also have with us today, Andrew, Andrew Gazdecki, founder of MicroAcquire. And I don't want to sort of spoil it, but basically the story goes that Daniel, the, the app that you now have was essentially given to you through an acquisition from MicroAcquire. And Andrew was a critical part of the story. But how did you guys meet? And uh, what was the story behind how you two got connected? Yeah, okay. Where where should I start? It, it started on Twitter. I'll go to the very beginning. Do you want, do you want the one-minute version or like the five-minute version? No, give us the five-minute version for sure. All right. So there was all these small just SaaS applications on MicroQuire, and I just thought it'd be cool to do like a business giveaway. So I reached out to originally Sam at The Hustle, Sam Parr. He didn't respond back. And then same day, I reached out to Sean. 
and he replied back on Twitter and said, hey, this is cool. Do you mind if I tweet this out? I said, yeah, go for it. This sounds like fun. So he tweeted something out and it said like, hey, there's all these little sh- like Shopify and SaaS applications on MicroQuire. Andrew, should we give one away? And then I replied back and said, yeah, let's do it. And then what happened from there was all these people started chiming in saying like, hey, I'd be happy to pitch 5K, 10K. And then I think Sean took it offline or something and pulled together, I believe our our exact total is about 86,000. 16,000 of that was for me. So I, I ponied up the most. But yeah, we, we started there. And then we said, okay, now we get to pick a person to give a business away to. And that's where I uh, met Dan. And the way I met Dan really was we were going through all these different, me and Sean were, you know, trying to figure out which one stood out the most. And a lot of people had really, really, really good responses in terms of, you know, why we should pick them as the business winner for this. There were some really great videos. But what stood out about Dan was he he had cold emailed all of us. I don't know how he got my email. So it just showed like initiative. And so based off of that, we narrowed it down to him and another individual. And Dan just put together this killer like portfolio type thing. I, I don't know what you would call it, Dan, but it was awesome. And I'd spoken with Dan and I spoke with the, all the other quote unquote investors who were pitching in on this application. And we selected Dan and been meeting with him pretty much every week, growing the Shopify app. So Dan, I want to hear your side of the story now. So it's like for you and what's going on through your mind of, okay, there's like this, like, you know, were you a listener of my first million? Were you a follower of Andrew? Like, how did you even find the opportunity and figure out that you actually wanted to apply and see if you could be the recipient of the business giveaway? Well, all the above. So I'd already been following Andrew and MicroQuire. I also had already been listening to My First Million. I followed Sean. And even Sean actually tweeted something similar a few weeks earlier to ask for someone to help him with his rolling fund. And I'm like sitting here with this mindset thinking like, I'm not employed right now. I have a job lined up to start like way in the summer after I graduate. If I've got like a solid, and this is like around winter time frame. if I've got a solid six to eight months to pump into like a serious side project, now is like better a time than ever in my life i'm about to graduate school so sean asked if he's looking for someone to partner on his rolling fund a few weeks earlier i shot my shot i like sent him two cents on venmo saying like yo this is my two cents about why i think i should be your partner in the rolling fund and he like i thought i had it in the bag he took a screenshot of that tweeted it i was like this is dope he's gonna reach out to me and he never said a thing like completely completely goes to me i was like wow like (laughs) ouch but so Then this came up and I was like, this is even better. And I was like kind of watching the Twitter replies as this thing snowballed. And like what started as Andrew and Sean looking for like $5,000 to give a small app to like a young entrepreneur, they'd like the original commitments, Andrew were in the six figures before we like figured out who was accredited and everything. So I'm sitting there like my eyes are popping out of my head, looking at a hundred thousand dollar opportunity to buy like a good pro like, an app with a good product and try and grow it. Like Andrew said, I was like crawling all over the web the night that they announced everything, looking for cold, like looking for their email addresses to cold email everyone. I cold emailed Andrew and Sean. They're like the ringleaders of everything. But also I tried to cold cold email everyone who committed money as well on Twitter. Because I knew, or at least I thought that everyone who'd be like ponying up some money 
would have some say in what was going on. I sent them all a slide deck saying, like, this is why me. And then Andrew responded. He was like, yo, like the hustle, man. And I was like, this is it. Like, I'm in. I'm in the, I'm in the inner fold. And I celebrated for, like, probably 30 seconds. And then I was like, oh, crap. Like, this is it. If I'm on the, like, if I'm on the goal line... And I was thinking about this. I was thinking about the Seattle Seahawks and the Super Bowl against the Patriots. Like you're on the goal line, <laughs> you have one of the best running backs in the NFL in Marshawn Lynch, and you throw it on the goal line instead of running it in. I didn't want to be the guy that threw a pick. Like I had to give mm. it to Marshawn Lynch. I had to run it in. So I talked to Andrew on the phone, and I was like, like, what can I do to help convince you guys that like I'm the guy? Like how can I sell sell that it's me? And Andrew and I were on the phone and I was already sold that I wanted to work with him because I expected like tough questions about like, what's your experience or what's your plan to grow this? And Andrew's just like, Hey man, what's up? Like, what are your favorite hobbies? What's your favorite music? Like, what do you like to do in your free time? And I'm like, this is cool because I can tell he's feeling me out to see like, if I'm a good person, if I'm a cool person to work with, cause that's the type of person I want to work with too, is like that, you know, you don't choose someone strictly because of their qualifications, but also because you can enjoy and be compatible with working with them. And so I was already like, I'd already sold myself on like, this is my shot. This is it. Andrew told me to build a site. So I, I built a site on Notion. I like had an intro video at the top. And then I listed four of my favorite frameworks for growing a business. Also attached the slide deck and then gave everyone an opportunity to contact me. And I basically told them, this is my game plan for growing this SaaS business if you give me the chance. And I sent it over to Andrew and all the investors. And I mean, I guess... Given that they chose me, I think it was received well. So, <laughs> I love it. Well, I'm, I'm curious too. So, I'd love to hear from both of you on on this side of things. But, Daniel, for you, how did you come up with the frameworks and sort of like pitch yourself and like here is like the game plan of how I would think about growing? Was it at that time? Was it also like decided that it was going to be like a Shopify app store? Like, how did you know sort of how to tailor a plan and a message to be able to pitch it? And then, Andrew, I'd love to hear like how you thought through that and you knew that you know evaluated the plan essentially well at the time andrew we hadn't specifically decided on sold stock had we we were thinking about some other apps like something with yeah. your facebook pixel and yeah, another one like no. a slack app we hadn't specifically chosen the shopify app so I... we hadn't we had i think we had like five or six different businesses that, and i can Corey, i can talk about how we selected uh sold stock but yeah, at that I'll point in time that. no one of the key things I thought to making this work was to involve Dan. So we just didn't buy something and he's like, oh, I hate this thing. Like now I have to work <laughs> on it. Right. So I, we went, I remember us going back and forth. This was like six months ago. So my memory's a little fuzzy, but yeah, we had selected it, but we had narrowed it down. So I like, I, I made these four frameworks that were like, I would say white labeled. So like I could use it on any SaaS business and Honestly, it's mm. just like a few of the philosophies that I feel like are core to growing a business period. So like I said, I've had like non-traditional entrepreneurship experience or let's say actually probably traditional entrepreneurship experience if you look back right. like 10, 20 years. But as far as like software engineers today, it's not quite up the alley of what they've been doing. But these are like core philosophies of what I think, you know, at least based on all the books that I read, all the people on Twitter that I follow, like my, you know, moving average of my philosophy on how to grow a business. I just formalized this and put it into a few frameworks. I actually wrote down all my, you know, all the ways I feel like I should grow a business. And then I started sorting them into buckets and I chose my four favorite buckets. 
And I specifically called them frameworks because I know Sean Purry, ha- like he says it himself. He's like, I have a fetish for frameworks. I love the word frameworks. I love these, like calling a strategy <laughs> a framework. So I was specific to call it frameworks to try to like, you know, get a little check in Sean's box. But the four frameworks I chose were like one that stealing is okay. And basically in that, like, I don't know everything yet, but like one of the main ways that I plan to learn is just by studying other people. So everyone thinks they have to reinvent the wheel. But honestly, if there's like a similar business that's much larger in a different domain or someone else that's killing it, you've got like a playbook right there for you to crack open and study on how to grow. So that's the first thing I said I was going to steal. The second one I said is I was going to leverage connections. So I was like, obviously, like Andrew's sitting on the throne of micro acquire. We've got a bunch of other awesome connected investors and I'm not going to like sever the connection with the previous owners of the app. Like I plan to like stay socially connected with everyone cause that can only provide more value. And like the sellers of the app have to be the biggest cheerleaders of it. Cause then if this grows, they can say like, Hey, I, I you know, I, I started that. I got it from like zero to 0.5 and this guy got it from 0.5 to one. The last one I said is that like, and Andrew and I, I would say have been like, adhering to this so far is like, I just want to implement quick experience, quick experiments and learn from them. I don't want to come up with this grand master plan without any idea of how the business operates, without any idea of what works and what doesn't. I want to come up with a list of small, low hanging fruit experiments that I can try and take a few whacks and see what sticks first. And my fourth and final one was to try and build in public. So to leverage the community around the app, leverage the community that I got connected in, in Twitter and how I even you know, found the opportunity was being connected in this community and Twitter, you know, leverage that group and, you know, be honest about wins and losses and what our thought processes are throughout the whole thing. And, you know, use that, you know, not just as a perk, but as a strategy to help us grow. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a delicate balance between having like really strong conviction and ideas and strategies that you want, you think you will work just based on your own experience and sort of what you like personally versus the, you know, the experimentation and the iteration and actually, you know, going through the motion and getting the trenches and realizing that, you know, obviously things are always a little bit different than you think. Right. But I'm also curious too. So how do you how do you choose sold stock? Because again, you mentioned before, you don't want to pick something and then be like, oh, I, I hate this or like, I have no idea about it. I have no passion for this. I don't like the customer. I don't like the product or this isn't something I could see myself working on. So deciding between five to six different opportunities, what made you decide on sold stock? Yeah, good question. I'd say the main part was, well, when you're acquiring something, there's, there's always a big piece of trust between you and the seller. So I had known Nick, the previous owner, through MicroQuire because he had sold another business. So that was a big win, just knowing that I could trust him, he was a good person. Also, Soldstock had a third-party agency as the development firm. So once Nick had left the business, we still communicate from time to time, but just knowing there's a developer that we can lean on in case we wanted any new features or anything like that was big. And he was also flexible on deal terms as well, which was favorable. So we negotiated 50% up front, 50% after 90 days, which allows us to transfer everything over, make sure that we received what we're paying for. And, you know, we're going to, I think the second payment's coming up later next month. And just being in the Shopify app stores, it's kind of like running a SaaS company with training wheels. Everything's just built in. 
So I felt it would allow us to just focus on running a lot of different experiments really quickly without having to wor worry about, you know, the billing system, the analytics, it's all just built in and it has customers inside of a existing ecosystem. So all that kind of together just made it, I think, a much less risky buy than some of the other apps. Some of the other apps we were looking at were kind of like, one was like a retargeting pixel for Facebook or something like that. Dan, if you remember, it, it was really cool. Yeah, it's a but, great idea. And I think a lot of the other ones were like, you know, they could, if they actually succeeded in the, you know, the tiny, tiny chance that they succeed, they could be huge. But this one was like, we know we have a decent shot at success. And like Andrew said, like, I basically use this as a learning opportunity and get to grow a business. And we think we can succeed and do it in like inside this safe bubble that, you know, everyone talks about, like, how can I grow my TAM? Well, Shopify is doing all the work to grow the total available market for me. Like, I don't have to do all that work. I'm on training wheels on this, like, awesome app, like, with great bones, let's say, like, a, an awesome product. And basically, it becomes a marketing and an execution challenge, not, like, are we going to, you know, fend off the odds and somehow become the top 0.1% of startups that actually succeed at changing the world. Yeah, and another thing I'll add that Dan brought up when he was talking about his frameworks was there's other competitors to Soldstock. It's an app that creates urgency for e-commerce stores on Shopify, obviously. But there's some that are doing really well. They have like 4,000 reviews or obviously on the first page of the category of creating urgency. So we felt there was a lot of examples of you know what's working, what can we borrow. So that was attractive too. Rather than buying a SaaS company where you know it could go to zero or something like that, it's more of a moonshot where, like Dan said, it could grow like 100% or 100x or something like that. But Soldstock looked like low-hanging fruit, some easy iterations where we felt pretty confident we could, you know, two, three accessing, you know, a period of time. So all that together, just to summarize it, it was just a simple deal, lower risk than some of the other applications we looked at. And just having trust with the buyer, all that just kind of made me feel like this is a good buy and so far it's worked out pretty well. Yeah. I think what's what's also fascinating to me is that a lot of people will, uh, you know, they'll start a project or they'll build something to scratch their own itch or because they kind of fall in love with the idea. It's just something that they want to see in the world, but they don't necessarily think a lot about the, the marketing aspect or really a lot of the growth. Like they're just you know, they're, they're product people, right? They're developers, they're designers, they're, they're software engineers who just, you know, have an, an itch to build something. But when you're acquiring uh, a product, then it's not really about the product itself. It's about the opportunity of the product. It's about the, uh, the opportunity of marketing and growing and, and really turning, you know, one thing into, or turning, you know, your $1 into $10 later on, right? How do you think about the, the actual growth opportunity of Soulstock. You had mentioned there's a couple of competitors. It's a pretty like defined category. There's there's Shopify where it's a kind of defined uh, market and Shopify does a lot of the work for you and growing the TAM, which I think is a really excellent way of thinking about it. But what was what was the, the thought around the opportunity of Soulstock? Can you get share any numbers around where it's at now, where you think it can be given sort of what you want to do and, and how far how far you think you can take it? Well, do you want me I, to take that, Dan, or are you? I've got a few thoughts, but I want you to chime in as well. I just, 
one thing that was really important for me is like I'm not a SAS wizard, like I mentioned. This is like, you know, I'm trying to learn, I'm trying to grow, and I want this thing to grow so that I can succeed, so that my investors can succeed. And this is honestly like an awesome learning experience for me, and it's a great story for us to tell is like these, you know, 13, 14 people came together on Twitter and we bought this thing together and we grew it and it was a win. That being said, I wouldn't want to buy an app that I thought was perfect and like there was nothing mm. to fix. One of the things that, you know, no, complete like numbers aside, we didn't like doing our due diligence, we could look at the app and we knew it wasn't perfect. We could see like spots in the funnel where they weren't converting well, the onboarding process, they lose a lot of users there. There was basically no marketing for the product. The servers were performing poorly. The Shopify app store listing wasn't optimized. There was no video. The copy was pretty technical. And like given the number of users it had, like around 700 users, it was ranked pretty low in the Shopify app store. So all those things like in your due diligence could be red flags, right? But for someone like me who is like an operator, I see these as low-hanging fruit, things that I know that are sticking out like a sore thumb and things that I know that I can fix and are like, give me a course of action to kind of try and turn this into something better. It's almost like, you know, if we found that Goldilocks app that was perfect, we'd end up paying way too much for it. But by, mm -hmm. you know, getting like one of the, you know, I don't know, like one of Cinderella's ugly sisters, we could just like fix it a little <laughs> bit and we know it'll get better. Yeah. And just to, to add to what Dan is saying is th there was just a lot of like small pieces of low hanging fruit, like, updating the app store listing page so it focused on you know the benefits of the app rather than the feature the features that it provided or even just updating some of the imagery imagery so we felt you know when we thought about the marketing funnel of you know area one could be increasing traffic so how do we increase the ranking on the app store because it was on like low page two high page three how do we get it to page one so we get more traffic? We get more traffic. How do we convert that traffic to more free trials? So that's where we start thinking about all this low-hanging fruit, like add a video. Nothing that really is that, you know, like, oh my gosh, how did you think of that? Very obvious stuff. And then once they're free trial users, how do we convert those free trials at a higher rate than um, they currently are converting. So there was just like a lot of like little stuff like that that we just saw that just wasn't really thought through. The revenue is really stable. So it had a good core, but it just wasn't dialed in. And that's really what we've been working on so far. So in terms of how far we could take it, I've been telling Dan, I think we could double it. That's TBD. But yeah, it just had a lot of just little things that I felt were great marketing experiments that we run and they wouldn't take too much work and then more importantly they wouldn't take too much capital so there's no we're missing some huge feature and then we got to spend money and then we just acquired something and we got to pay more money now or it has a bunch of bugs that everyone's complaining about didn't have anything like that so there's all of this like free stuff that we could do and just kind of turn the knob and see if it had any because you can't make these changes and get immediate results. And so we've been making small iterative changes to see what kind of works. But yeah, we just kind of were, it was just really easy to take one look at it and to see like five, six different growth levers. And so 
Um, so yeah. Yeah. So day one, the app is now in your hands. It's yours, sort of off to the races. Where, where do you start? You had mentioned a few things like, you know, you create a video or maybe update sort of the listing, but walk me through from day one, like where, where'd you start with, with updating and with sort of beginning that opportunity to try to tackle some things to, to help it grow? Well, day zero, actually, before we even servers. Yeah. Before we, before we even (laughs) got our hands on anything and everything was running, it was like, it was previously on a server that was like too small. It kept crashing and all this stuff. And like when we did the transfer, we're like, if we are going to be pulling all the plugs and putting it in somewhere else, let's address like the number one root cause for all the one star reviews. Let's address all like the, the number one cause for all the customer complaints, which was server performance. So like the first thing we did is put it on AWS and we're mm-hmm. like, you know, the sky's the limit there. We're not, we're not worried about like, you know, I mean, Amazon's got a nine nines guarantee. It's on a- a- AWS. We don't have to worry about that. So that like right off the bat addressed it our, you know, our biggest red flag. Hmm. But other yeah, than great. that, like the, the reviews this... are, are important. A lot of those like retention issues then end up becoming marketing issues later on. Yeah. We don't, we don't want to let any of the, like the product issues become a PR issue, like you're saying, hmm. but a lot of the stuff we're doing, you know, and I think it's an important thing to mention is like we're not doing huge product overhauls a lot of the things we're doing is just like turning little knobs and seeing seeing what sticks the first thing that i you know i said i'm not a marketer i took two marketing classes in high school that gave me the literacy i guess at least to watch youtube and figure out what's going on or read some of andrew's (laughs) tweets and Corey's tweets and figure out what's going on i know that like i wasn't gonna go right out of the gates and start spending my money you know, unless I've already optimized my own channels. So what I wanted to work on first was like getting, I mean, straight off the bat, Andrew already said it, but we try to get that app store listing, you know, the things we can control for free as pretty as we can. So the, like day one, I think Andrew and I went on Fiverr and we were like, all right, just find someone that can do an explainer video and we'll put it in. Shopify says, you know, having a video in the listing is a big deal for them and having your app ranked higher. And they actually just, their past few weeks, they've been A-B testing a different app store format, which highly favors the listing having a video on there as opposed to a photo. So that was like our first big stab at it. And, you know, I think, I think that's probably the most monumental improvement. At least that's like, customer facing if someone comes in you know at the top of the funnel that's the biggest difference is they'll notice that the app store listing is a lot different yeah and one one thing i'll add too is like there's no silver bullet for growing something like this so we're doing all these like iterative tests so me and dan do a call each week wednesday 6 p.m prime time but we just kind of like go over ideas but we don't like we, you know, adjusted things like the images, the copy, but we did it one at a time. Because if you change everything all at once, was it the images? Was it the copy? Was it the video? You know, so we aren't able to really understand what is causing movement in the app store rankings. But that's that's goal number one. And we're still kind of climbing up. I believe we're at like the top of the second page. Dan, do you know? It, it depends on the week too. That's another thing that's like, this has really opened my eyes to is I subscribe to a service now. It's free. 
It's called the Shopify App Store Index. They just send me an email every single day of where my app is ranked in all these different categories. Like, just depending on the day of the week, we'll go up and down like 25 rankings, and I don't think anything's changed. So it's really volatile, so it's hard to say, but I think, you know, like, our moving average is probably a lot higher now than it was before. We've, we've climbed up a little bit. And then you've also got to, like, and the other thing, you know, we said we're inside this bubble that Shopify's curating, you know, with training wheels. I've also got to realize that I'm subject to the waves and overarching trends within the Shopify ecosystem as well. So we've noticed over the last few weeks, a lot of free users were churning. So I was starting to stress out, like, is something wrong that these people are leaving? You know, Andrew kind of gave me some stories about when he's growing some of his first businesses. He's like, you know, when you're watching churn, sometimes you can just be like holding the steering wheel white knuckled, or you can relax a little bit and just kind of address and see what's figure like go out, like chill for a little bit, try to figure out what's going on. I sniffed into it a little more and it looks like these people are just closing their stores. So it's not something specific about my app. It means that mm. Shopify is churning users. And so it didn't affect our revenue that much. It hurt our rankings a little bit, but it's been a little interesting to see, like we can do these things that increase conversion rate, improve our funnel, improve our listing. And I'm still subject to what the tide is within the Shopify ecosystem as well. Yeah. Right. And possibly even, you know, we're, we're in May of 2021 as of this recording and uh, just coming out of like, you know, a year from, from lockdown essentially. Right. So I can imagine that there's a lot of people who just got around to spinning up a site and maybe they're on a yearly subscription and now they're actually, you know, things didn't work out or maybe their other COVID business baby, you know, failed or they're, they're shutting it down. Right. And so there's, like you said, there's all sorts of these factors you have to you have to account for when you're building on top of a platform. And I'm curious to, to dig into that platform aspect a little bit more on like what it's like sort of being in the Shopify ecosystem, building on top of a platform. Like what are, what are the levers that you can pull? It seems like the, the app store listing is like a big deal in there. Obviously there's ratings, there's, there's reviews, there's, as user counts and user growth as well, but like walk me through sort of what the, the Shopify ecosystem and platform looks like being built on top of it. Yeah, well, you're pretty comprehensive with that list, honestly, what, what you've grasped through our talking so far. There's a lot of like those quick and easy low level parameters like that that you'd expect in any app store marketplace. Beyond that, the like the biggest thing that they leave is up to you to generate outside traffic from outside the app store. And that's mm. actually something that they use. And it's strategic for them to favor that in their algorithm because it rewards you for bringing new users to the Shopify platform as a whole. But so that's something else that, you know, once we feel like we've nailed down or at least done as, you know, let's say like the Pareto principle, done, done the 80% of what we can to nail down this app store optimization and do what we can within the platform. I've been learning from a lot of people on Twitter you know, that are doing the build in public thing for a Shopify app as well, they say, you know, the next step in that progression is to generate traffic from outside of the platform and it helps your rankings. Mm. It apparently is much better return on ad spend than advertising within the Shopify ecosystem. And it's something, you know, I don't have any learnings to share yet, but it's something that, you know, and Andrew and I will hash out in our weekly phone call and I'll start putting out on Twitter as I learn and figure out, you know, what's working for this, what's not working. I plan to share all of it. So, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll also add uh, Shopify apps are new to me too. 
So I by no means am an expert with Shopify applications, but it has, when we talk about the rankings, obviously I would say, you know, the levers you can pull are, are typical for SaaS. There's pricing, there's, you know, getting more people into the top of the funnel, converting them, you know, free trials, free trials to paying customers, then focusing on retention of those paying customers. But the app store rankings is like a mystery. Like it, I understand SEO really well. I used to nerd out on SEO a lot. And there's things like Dan just mentioned where we've heard that if you drive traffic uh, to your page, you get rewarded by Shopify, which makes complete sense. It's kind of like Google's time on page for search queries where you go to a website based on something you search. And if you're on that page for a longer period of time, Google favors that. So there's all these like nuances and just kind of figuring out how they all add up to a higher ranking is really interesting. And just learning all that has been fascinating because just like any sort of like algorithm, they don't tell you exactly, you know, what it, like, how do you get to first page? They don't have like a book on that. So that's been a lot of fun just learning all about that. Yeah, they have to be mysterious to a certain point because then everyone would just be sort of working the system and hacking it and trying to game the system in a way, right? So they have to keep it a little bit mysterious, but not too mysterious in that <laughs> it works against you, right? And you're making these big mistakes. So there's definitely a balance there. I'm also curious, again, given it's built on Shopify, I think one of the things that fascinates me about that is that there's sort of like this built-in user journey for people finding sold stock where if you're if you're largely relying on just the platform right then you're sort of relying on people coming to a point where they're either like they fall upon or they just kind of like stumble upon sold stock for whatever reason maybe there's like a feature or they're just like browsing scrolling or they come across a really specific pain point where or they had the idea they read somewhere that they want to in your case right they want to show the the inventory numbers or maybe the the scarcity of the inventory on the page right and they're like oh how do i go do that and maybe they you know search in certain things or they they search directly for something like sold stock have you guys done any research or have a semblance of how people find and and why why they end up using something like sold stock we're just starting to crack that nut open honestly and it's been really fascinating to me. I recently got set up with an analytics tool for the Shopify app. And I was looking, you know, between that and Google Analytics at where our traffic comes from. You think it would come from within the Shopify ecosystem. We've been talking about how great it is to exist within there. The vast majority of our traffic comes from a direct Google search. And I think people are probably reading somewhere, like you're saying, like, I should have an inventory counter on my site, or I should have something to create urgency or increase social proof. And they're searching for that. And that's what's getting us there. So that kind of gives us some confidence in like trying to generate some traffic outside of the app store, but also kind of informed our strategy in optimizing the listing as well. So it's not just for app store ranking optimization, it's also for search engine optimization. And mm. so a lot of the things that we did when we changed that copy were, again, like Andrew said, it was really, really focused on the nitty gritty of how the features work. It said, you know, like you can add and customize this emoji if you want, or we can live sync to your inventory numbers. But what we changed, the like basically the hero copy above the fold, what we changed this to 
now is focused on these parameters that people might be searching for. So, you know, Shopify app to improve my social proof or create urgency for buyers or boost conversion rates. Those are the things that our copy focuses on now, because mm -hmm. I think that favors making it understandable for the user that's clicking there, like sitting there hovering over the, like, you know, add this app to my store button and they read and they're, you know, with, I hear it all the time and I'm a newbie marketer, but like focus on the outcomes of what they will receive when they use this. But also I think those are probably more in line with the queries that people are making on Google to, to try and find our app as well. Hmm. Yeah. There's all the sorts of debates and comparisons around features versus benefits and you know, when to use certain types of copywriting in the app. But I think one of the interesting parts about e-commerce, especially given I had some e-commerce previously with another startup I was working for, where all of our customers were like these sort of, you know, D to C and enterprise e-commerce brands was everyone's North star is how do we make more money? Right. And that's like the single focus for, you know, how do we sell more? If you're an e-commerce store, that's, that is the big thing that is, and then under sell more is, you know, increased conversion rate, you know, social proof, get more you know, people to the site, like there's all sorts of ways that, that plays out. But if you can specifically communicate, Hey, here's how our app, here's how our features help you achieve the thing that you want to, which is, you know, increase conversion rate, or maybe it's just to, to increase the, the loyalty or to get someone's information before they buy, you know, increase your, your email list, things like that, then helps them understand why they should take the time to install your app. But of course, that's a very ongoing process. It's a work in progress always. Well, yeah, and what, what you were talking about before with this, you know, when you buy a business, you're not necessarily as passionate about solving the problem as if you had, you know, been there firsthand experiencing it, you know, banging your head against the wall trying to figure out how to solve it, and then you go solve it. I think this is something that Andrew and I are both passionate about. You can see, like, Andrew does through the stuff that he's working on, like, and has worked on in the past, and it's also something that I'm passionate about and gets me excited to help this like make this thing grow is like like you're saying like we can help small to medium-sized businesses make more money it's really easy for me to tell you that i'm on your team when my app will help you make more money i want you to make more money i want you to succeed you know it's not like our incentives are misaligned or anything it's a good story to tell and like that's how i'm like planning on reaching out and relating with more customers and relating with existing customers is like I'm running a business, you're running a business, we're all helping each other grow, like we're in this thing together. It's not like I'm, you know, stealing from you or, you know, your growth hurts me. We're all in it together. And so that's something I am passionate about growing. And it's a way that I frame the business to get myself more excited about it, even though I'm not the one that originally developed the product too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would, I would definitely echo that. Like each week, me and Dan meet for our our conversations go for like an hour a week. Dan, it's scheduled like, for like thirty minutes, but I think we end up talking for over an hour most weeks. Oh, it's like just the ultimate brainstorm session. Like, what about the, Have you seen this app? Like, what if we change it to this? What like What about this copy versus this copy? Like, who will design? Like, we went through who designed the video. So it's it's pretty fun because it's an uncharted territory for both Dan and me, but I have a little bit of experience growing different SaaS products. And the same sort of concepts apply, but it's just like this fun iterative process that me and Dan have going. And so 
I'm just excited for when we finally figure out like what is like that one knob and I'm sure it's going to be a series of different knobs that we growth levers that we turn and we've we've kind of gotten close on one and it goes up and then it kind of like goes back to normal we're like ah so it's it's fun man I mean you know I I don't think we're building a billion dollar company or anything like that but it's a lot of fun like getting in there and learning something new and then making changes and seeing you know things things go up in the right direction so i don't know i've had a blast yeah you can treat it like a game right and you just you play and you experiment and you see which levers actually make a difference which ones don't and the goal is always right to for things to go up up and to the right i was actually going to ask about the sort of power hour wednesday evenings or wednesday afternoons what's that like how do you think about it like what are the ideas that you're talking about what are you brainstorming? How do you evaluate which ideas are actually worth pursuing, which ideas you kind of throw away or that you save for later? Just walk me through the process of, of this power hour for you guys. Dan, you want me to take that? Or you? Yeah, go ahead. Usually, I mean, we don't have an agenda. I, I think me and Dan, I would like to think, just enjoy working together. So we start off with looking at you know the Shopify dashboard. How, how are we doing? How are we trending? Like Dan said, we had a little bit of a churn issue. And one week I was like, listen, like SMBs naturally churn. Like I've seen, I know founders that have lost their minds, like trying to fix this churn problem that you, you can't fix. And sure enough, it kind of dipped down a little bit. And then I believe last week when we met Dan, it was, it was trending upwards again. So we'll just kind of review what's been going on and then we'll go over what should we do next and then we just kind of like ad hoc ideas and then we usually talk about like what's going on in our lives like both you know outside of sold stock and stuff like that so they're they're fun i I, dan i just want to let you know i i enjoy the calls and look forward to them and then we leave with a couple action items nothing serious yeah it's it's super it's super informal and yeah like i Part of it is like we talk about this app and I'm talking to a mentor and the biggest investor and all this stuff. But honestly, like sometimes we're just most of the times we're just shooting the breeze and like talking as friends about like how cool Marshawn Lynch is. Like one thing and actually, Andrew, I've never told you this. So, Corey, you're getting like another exclusive thing in your podcast. Now you like to talk about like. I love it. Crack crack open the egg. Let's hear the secrets. I've told my (laughs) friends that like I could not afford to pay Andrew for this time. I would say that for me personally, it's been one of the most valuable parts of this whole experience. Obviously getting my hands dirty, learning to build, learning to grow something like this. But like Andrew's really humble. He's like, oh, I have some past experience in growing SaaS businesses. Like this dude's like had seven, eight, nine figure valuations and exits in multiple SaaS companies. I'm like, you know, when we're checked out and we're just talking, we're friends. But when we're going like digging into the SaaS stuff, I'm like learning how to throw a football with Tom Brady in the backyard. And so like that for me, like a lot of the things, you know, that I feel like I'd be wandering around blind, trying to reinvent the wheel. Andrew's like, no man, just like focus on this. This is important. Focus on this. And that's been super valuable for me. You know, I feel like the learnings from that are, they, they go hand in hand with the learnings from, you know, operating the business, but they're, mm. they're exponentially greater than if I was wandering around doing this thing on my own. That's for sure. Yeah. I yeah. can't believe you just gave me a Tom Brady reference, man. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> I'm not that cool. But Dan, I, I appreciate you. Yeah, sometimes we'll just chat about just general sort of, you know, holistically how to think about a business. I think the churn one is probably relevant where you know, sometimes you just sweat over the biggest stuff. And then next week, it's like, oh, guess what? It didn't matter. And that was kind of what I told Dan. I was like, hey, listen, I remember that call, Dan. You were like, numbers are going down. And then if you're if you're in the 30-day view, it looks like the stock market's crashing. But then if you <laughs> zoom out like 90 days, it's a small little blip. And then yeah. if you zoom out 365, it's like nothing. And I'm just like, hey, let's just like maybe this week, let's not touch anything and see where we kind of like get back to equilibrium and then yeah sure enough like you know it kind of got back to a stable spot like the world didn't end no one got hurt so yeah we 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 go over some fun stuff like that and it's like a a neat little ex ex, like exploratory talk into like how our brains work we spend a lot of time talking about like the philosophy of business as a whole and i like seeing it because andrew and i will have a conversation and we'll like say a few things that are like I think are pretty sticky. Like they're like an interesting topic to think about. And I I'm on the East Coast. He's on the West Coast. So it's 6 p.m. for him prime time. It's 9 p.m. for me. So after we're off the phone, I go to bed and I'm just like laying there in bed thinking about what we're talking about. And sure enough, I wake up the next morning and Andrew tweeted something about what we were talking about. So I'm like, oh yeah, we're like <laughs> we're not we're gnawing through all these interesting tough ideas and it's something is interesting enough for andrew to tweet and his followers think it's interesting i said like one of these days we're gonna end up curing cancer or world hunger or something because we end up like talking about all the big problems <laughs> so when, wednesday know. nights are the time to to check in on andrew's twitter feed and and your own probably <laughs> yeah yeah it, it all a lot of it stems from a wednesday evening conversation yeah i love it well one of the interesting things uh, i think about the call is you guys have this mixture of just like shooting the breeze ideas. And you're also looking at the data. You're looking at the analytics. You're looking at the dashboards. Personally, I can tell you, and I don't know what you guys experience is. I'd be curious to hear about it, but I've seen this tension and I feel this tension all the time with myself of like, I want to be very data driven and look at the numbers and see sort of how things are trending to really figure out what's going on. Or maybe that kind of spurs some new ideas or that tells me what it should go do. But on the other side, there's also this part of me that just wants to like, be creative and just like use my intuition and and maybe I just have these random ideas that come up of oh I think that this thing would would work or this thing is good or or this is maybe what's going on here and not look at the data at all just kind of go based off of your gut how do you guys think about that do you do each of you lean one way or another do you consciously think about that before decisions that you make and you know the homework kind of action items that you give each other oh can I take that one Dan so Every time I've ever thought something is going to go right in marketing, it goes wrong. And then whenever I've like, <laughs> like I've made bets with my team, like I'll bet you 20 bucks this email headline will not perform better than this one, whatever it may be. And I'm always right. Or I'm basically always wrong. So my point there is, you know, we make these changes kind of off gut, but with the full notion of knowing we don't know what the change, so we need to get that data. I think one of my favorite quotes in marketing is, without data, you're just another person with an opinion. So I have tons of opinions on what could work, what probably won't work, which for sure will not work, and then it works, and then, you know, so looking at that data is crucial, but you do have to, you know, take a, some risks, you know, like I have no idea if this is gonna work and having that mindset I think that's really important and just marking as a whole because 
yeah, you don't know it's going to work until you actually, you know, get that data. And you're only going to get that data by making that change. You kind of have this like iteration circle where you make a change and, you know, if it didn't work, okay, at least we learned, you know, learning what doesn't work sometimes is as valuable as learning what works. It's more painful, but so that's kind of like the decision like tree up. I guess it's not a tree, it's a circle, but... Yeah, I just, I, I echo that. Honestly, one of the biggest things that I've learned and, like, Andrew's driven home through his mentorship to me is, like, whenever we're trying something, like, your list of to-dos or your list of hunches or gut feelings about what you could fix could get miles and miles long. You know, we sit there and pontificate about why this should or shouldn't work, and, you know, a reminder he always gives me is, like, dude, you don't know until you try it. So let's implement it. Let's look at the data. Let's see if it moves the needle at all. And so I would say the vast majority of our decision-making is data-driven. But Corey, you did pick out like a huge part of our interaction isn't based on talking about numbers or like specifically about business strategy. It's about like being enjoyable to work with. And I know like for me, I've worked in teams where you know, you're supposed to be the A team because you've got this like X or Y amazing talent or amazing experience. But Andrew actually like he's taught me a lot, told me a lot about it, told me stories about it. And I feel that in the way that we work is like the most effective teams, the best teams are the ones like you can laugh with, you can smile with, you're having a good time with. I don't know, like Andrew, if you want to dive more into that, because that's like a huge philosophy of yours. Even that like our first call with me, I expected you to like you know, go line by line on my resume or like ream my experience or something like that and see if I could see if I could hold up to the test. But your test for me was like, can I have a decent conversation with this guy? Is he decent to work with? Is he enjoyable to talk to? Yeah, for me, that's that's always been huge, especially when um, building teams or when you get to choose who you work with. It goes a long ways if you choose a person you'll enjoy working with. But that's also vice versa. It can't just be, I'll enjoy working with you, but you're going to hate me. It has to be a mutual relationship. And I don't know. It's one of those things maybe where until you've worked on a team where you, like, you literally, like these people like could be in your wedding. Like you just have gone through some like really good times and really bad times. And, you know, that's when you really realize like, wow, if I didn't have such a good working relationship with these people, I don't think we would have, you know, came through on top or maybe it was just, you know you're winning Super Bowls the entire time and you know you build uh, lasting relationships over that but yeah I've always been a huge believer that you know making work fun like if you're just not enjoying what you're doing to me it's just not worth it I don't know I just I I struggle working with people that take things too seriously and just can't take a step back and realize hey we're all people we all have bad days we all have good days but a team you know supports each other through you know the ups and the downs so yeah when when i recruit i ask some some off off some unusual questions i guess you could say what what are some of those questions like just out of curiosity man we used to ask some funny ones at business apps we used to ask like what is your favorite like superhero and like why or just what Harry Potter character would you be? Is the first the question you a- asked me was what makes you happy? I was like totally yeah. not expecting to hear that in my first call with this guy like that's vetting me to see if he's if I'm worth, you know, five to six figure investment. His first question was like, 
dude, what, like, what makes you happy? What do you enjoy doing? What makes you smile? And it like kind of set the tone for, I, I would say all of our interactions, honestly. Yeah, I would say, just to put it in simpler terms, I always look for motivation, attitude, and skill set in that order. So figuring out what motivates the person. Is it financial? Is it career progression? Is it the mission of the company? Is it, you know, the opportunity to work on whatever you, your company is working on? It could be a number of different things, but figuring that out, I think is so key because that leads to someone who enjoys working at your company and then they have to have a great attitude because just one bad attitude in a group can bring everybody down. But yeah, just kind of figuring out what makes someone take on a personal level. Like I always just liked, I never considered people employees or anything like that. I always considered them teammates where, you know, I want to make sure that you thoroughly enjoy this job because if you don't, I fully understand that you can quit and you can go work wherever you want. And it's a choice of yours to work here. And that's the relationship that we have is my job is to make sure that you're happy, you feel fulfilled at work. So I... I, try to understand those things by no means am i the best boss ever too i want to make that very very clear i do a lot of annoying things (laughs) no what what it makes me think of is what's been kind of going uh on in my head throughout this conversation or this this point has been i think in marketing it's a a little bit it's not like you know we were talking about tom brady earlier it's not like football where you can be a tom brady and you can throw you know like 45 or 50 completions it's just like you know you're just like hit after hit after hit it's more like baseball where like if you're batting 100 or 200 or 300 like if you're batting 300 you're you know you're striking out or you're hitting a fly ball seven out of ten times you're still doing good like most of the things that you work on are either going to be inconclusive or they're going to be failures you have to be able to enjoy the process and enjoy uh, and be able to have thick skin, but also just be able to be objective and, you know, lower your guard, like not have an ego about anything. And if you're constantly like being so, such a hard nose about like every experiment, everything that you do needs to be a success. Working with people is going to be really hard because it brings a lot of ego and it brings these really high expectations where then, you know, because you're only hitting a, you know, 200 or a 300 to use baseball terms, you're going to feel like a failure. Like you're going to feel like crap most of the time. Yeah, and having a team that, you know, understands that I think is key. Like, yeah, if you make that change, something could plummet, but we got to make that change to see, like, that's a growth lever, you know. We'll Mm -hmm. learn if it works or if it doesn't work. So I I completely agree. And I just think about a lot of my friends who are entrepreneurs who, like, completely dread giving investor updates. And, like, I kind of have to reframe myself and remind myself, like, like Andrew said, he is... Like I have a bunch of investors on my cap table who helped me get this opportunity, who footed the bill for it and believed in me and my ability to learn and help grow this thing. Andrew is at the head of that table. So, you know, he invested the most money. He's got the most skin in the game. And like the tone that we've been able to set in our working relationship and that I do not dread getting on the phone with him, even when that graph for the last X number of days is down into the right instead of up into the right. I think that's an important and a tone that we've set for this this working relationship is about you know learning and growing in the long term and like you said you know even if you bat 300 and you're one of the best batters in the league there will be a game that you go and you strike out every single time and so it's it's something that 
you know, even when I strike out or even when things are down on the right, I look forward to getting on the phone with Andrew on a Wednesday night, even if nothing's good. So, yeah, that's, that's so, so key. Well, beginning to wrap up here, give us an idea of where you're headed with those soul stock future experiments, projects, just random ideas you have, how you're thinking about, you know, going through the, through the rest of the year and, and beyond, like just give us an idea of the future and how you're thinking about where you're going to take soul, soul stock. Yeah, well, Andrew said in the beginning, one of the reasons why we chose the app, and it's still like a primary goal of mine, is to figure out how to hack those Shopify app store rankings and get us onto the first page. I think that's, you know, of all the levers we can pull, that's something we're looking forward to do. And I also mentioned, I want to learn how to drive traffic from outside of the app. So, or outside of the app store, rather. So I've heard a lot of anecdotes around like, Cora works great for me or YouTube works great for me, but it's, you know, like you said, like it's different for every single app It's different for every single audience. So that's something, you know, that's, I, I see as a blessing in disguise with this app is it's grown to the 700 users that it has today. Completely like almost completely organically. The previous owners didn't pay for marketing at all, no ads. And, you know, we've only just started paying like, I don't know. I think we've paid $100 total for ads. So, you know, to where it is today is almost completely organic. To me, that shows that there's like all these treasure troves that are untapped. So I'm looking forward to figuring out how and where and when I should be running ads and seeing how that grows the app because it's gotten to this critical mass it has today without massive ad spend. And I view that as a plus, not a minus. Yeah, that's awesome. I think... I think Dan just nailed it. Cool. Well, final question for each of you. When I say everything is marketing, what does that mean to you? What comes to mind? Huh. Everything is marketing. I guess, you know, distribution comes to mind. Like, you know, no matter what you do in business, you have to be marketing. I guess, okay, I'll, I'll play this game. Corey. <laughs> I mean, when you make features, that's marketing because you're telling your user base that it's marketing. When you're marketing, that's marketing. Sales, a lot of sales outreach technically could be considered marketing because you're capturing attention from people. This podcast is technically marketing for salt stock. Am I getting that? Am I, I might be giving you like a literal answer, but. No, um, that's perfect. That, that's what came to mind. Yeah. Daniel, what about you? I I am totally on board with what Andrew's saying with this, like every interaction with your customer has to count and customer service is a part of that. Obviously your ads are, you know, when they you add a certain feature and it solves a problem for them, that can be marketing. But I also like, I want to zoom out, especially for people who are like me and don't consider themselves a marketer. I don't have like marketing experience or marketing education. But in hindsight, a lot of the things that I've been doing in life or a lot of the things that have helped me are marketing. And it's telling a story to someone and helping them understand more about me and why I think I'm the right person to invest your money in and choose me for the app or trying to stand out in job applications when I went and got those competitive internships or even like trying to figure out what works on social media. Like when I want to share my story with people. How can I make them feel compelled to feel what I'm saying and to understand what I'm saying and understand the message? Um, I think that beyond, you know, 
getting a job that has marketing manager in the title. There's a whole lot of the world that we interact in with sharing a story with people, helping them understand a message that you have to share. That to me, I mean, I don't I don't want to devalue any of the experience and education and, you know, skills that a lot of very skilled marketers have, but I think for people like me who don't consider yourself a marketer, there's a lot, you know, a lot still for you to crack open and a lot to learn, but realize that you know, it's not just every interaction with your customer as when you're running a company, but basically every interaction with someone is an opportunity for you to strengthen or devalue your brand, to share a story or to miss that opportunity. So in that case, for me, literally all of my life, social media interactions with people that can be considered marketing as well. Very well said. Well, I appreciate you guys coming on. We're going to have to have like a part two in a year or two and catch up and see all the experience you guys run, how things are going, how you're thinking about things now and what you've learned along the way. But I appreciate you being so transparent. Looking forward to following the journey and, and sharing your time here today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally down to come on again. And, you know, maybe it'll be a huge plateau. Maybe we'll be down or maybe we'll be up and to the right. But either way, we'll have something to share. And I think that's part of us wanting to build in public is like we're, we're going to share all those strategies. We're going to share what works and what doesn't and help other people learn along the way too. Yeah. I love it. Awesome guys. Thanks again, both to Daniel and Andrew for coming on the show and also make sure to check out Soldstock at soldstock.io. If you have an e-commerce store, if you can spare a moment, I have already created a prepped tweet for you to tweet out to both Daniel and Andrew. If you can just go to the show notes click on the link and pop on Twitter to tell them thanks. And to wrap up, here are a few of my takeaways from our conversation. First of all, I love how Daniel and Andrew had a marketing first approach to acquiring a startup. When you're acquiring, of course, you're looking at the product, but really you're looking at the potential for growth. Second, without data, you're another person with an opinion. I love that. Decision-making comes on a spectrum between data and intuition, but there's no denying that data is evidence and evidence is the best justification for making a decision. And finally, every interaction with your customer has to count. When you're a small, scrappy, and focused on growth, there's no part of your funnel and product experience that you can't afford to overlook. I'm a fan of shipping and avoiding perfectionism, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't make the most of every interaction with your customer and button things up as much as you can. If you've got a question or takeaway you want to share from this episode, you can actually do so in the Swipe Files community. You can chat with guests of the podcast as well as a bunch of other top-notch marketers. Join a community that will help you do your best work and be prolific. Check it out at swifiles.com slash membership. You can also get my free newsletter, Marketing Weekly. It's a curated digest of the best marketing content in your inbox every Sunday. And finally, check the show notes for all the important links. And if you could do me a quick favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you are and leave a review so more people like yourself can find the show and help me grow the podcast. And with that, I'll see you in the next one.